Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, Drew here with Josh and Connor, but unlike usual, for the first time in our podcast history we get to talk about actual major league soccer that happened uh it's been a while it's been a bunch of episodes talking about a lot of different things but now we get to look back on mls and nbsl and everything so before we get into that guys just want to ask you how was the week watching mls for the first time in what felt like years josh how was it for you it was pretty awesome you know i think there was Definitely some hiccups along the way, and we'll certainly touch on that. But all things considered, it was great to finally see this league back in action. It has not disappointed so far, I would say. There's been plenty of entertainment, of course, a couple duds along the way, and players starting to, to get back into the um, the flow of things. But that being said, it was a lot of fun. It's been great to see all these teams, to see our favorite teams back in action. Yeah, I do perfectly agree with everything that Josh just said. Um, it certainly hasn't gone to plan. Uh, it's That's the way you want to put it. It's been a very, very, very bumpy road, but they're figuring it out. Uh, we'll get into more of the nitty-gritty of what's gone wrong, because there has been a lot of it uh, later. But more importantly than whatever's happening in MLS, Drew, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks, Connor. Um, it was a busy week. Yeah, NWSL's been going on, so continuing to watch that. But those kind of filled the MLS gaps for me after this 9 a.m. kickoff and then before the late night. Um, you had some games kind of crossing over with, like, especially those night games. You had NWSL and MLS playing. Like last night, I think I was watching the Rapids RSL game. Um, and I forgot who I was even watching on the NWSL, but I had like two TVs at once on soccer. So it was a really awesome problem to have, but it was good watching MLS. And yeah, like Josh said, these games have been super fun. It's been like the most MLS thing ever, a lot of chaos, but that's why we love the league. But so we had some fun news to come out about MLS, specifically Charlotte. Um, they eliminated, I think, a team name because they're still trying to figure out branding. Um, so they eliminated, I think it's the Charlotte Fortune FC, which my personal take, I'm glad they eliminated Charlotte Fortune. I'm not a fan of it. Um, we have some different names. I'm not going to go through all of them. Some of them are bad. Some of them are even worse. A couple of them I think are pretty good. Um, out of the list, I think I'm a Charlotte Town FC fan. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with Town. I don't know if there's like a connection with that or why they would choose to name it but to me that sounds the best 
Um, what out of the list? What Josh? I guess we'll start with you. What is like your favorite name? You think out of the Charlotte team name list? I think I'm with you. I think Charlotte Town FC is the best one. Um, I kind of wish that Charlotte Athletic FC was like Athletic Charlotte, kind of like a play on you know Athletic Bilbao or Atletico Madrid. I think that would be a little a little more interesting because as much as this league has kind of kind of copied some of the European club names. No one's done an athletic yet, so I feel like that would be a little bit different. Uh, I definitely agree with you, though. I'm glad Charlotte Fortune's gone, and there's a couple other terrible ones, but uh, Connor, what are your thoughts on their names? You got a favorite one out of these? I want them to do Char- Charlotte Athletic just so that the athletic can sponsor the jersey and have their logo on the front of the kits because I think that would be amazing. Uh, otherwise, I don't know, the classic Charlotte Town FC... Uh, although I feel like you might have some issues with other getting mixed up with other cities. Um, Charlotte FC, you can never really go wrong with FC, but it is kind of boring. I'm rooted towards Charlotte Athletic. What are your guys' least favorite on this list? Because there are really some doozies. All Carolina FC, I think, would take... It's the worst on this list for sure, but I honestly think it would take the cake for worst name in MLS. If Absolutely. it were to actually happen. I'm not a Real Salt Lake fan because it kind of just feels like a copy and paste of Real Madrid. But even Real Salt Lake would be better than all Carolina FC. I get that you're trying to capture the South Carolina demographic and the whole two states, one team stuff. But you can do it without all Carolina FC. That's just, that's the worst one. Charlotte FC, like Connor said, you can't really go wrong with it, but you can't really, it's just there. It's like a plain white t-shirt for a jersey. Like, you can't really not like it, but you can't like it. It's just like the definition of a mediocre name, I feel. So to me, the worst one is All Carolina FC. What do you think, Josh? I hope it's not Charlotte FC because we've also got Austin FC coming in. And it's kind of lame to have Minnesota United and Atlanta United come in at the same time. So... I hope they don't go with that. Um, and I'm with you. I hate the All-Carolina FC. It would be just horrible. I think I saw a while ago someone on Twitter, so who knows how accurate this was, but they were trying to say that Charlotte Town is actually legit because Charlotte was originally known as like Charlotte Township. So it's really kind of a historical name. I don't really know if that's true. I didn't bother to follow up. I will say, though, if I had to put money down on which name I think will be selected. I do think it's going to be Charlottetown FC. I think that's the name that they're going to pick. And I wonder how often they're going to tweet out this picture with another name crossed off the list. Connor, do you have one that you uh, specifically loathe out of all these? Not really. Uh, The Charlotte Monarchs just make very little sense because where did the monarchy come from? Uh, Josh, you clearly think I am clearly misinformed so how no, no, no. Misinformed? not misinformed maybe uninformed not that i mean why would you know the history about charlotte but it's known as the queen city and that's where they get the monarchs from and that's why there's also charlotte crown ah okay that makes a lot more sense then where did carolina gliders come from is that the it's where the wright brothers invented the airplane that's what i assumed wrightsville north carolina okay then right Eh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> I have an excuse not to know. You two do not, so quickly research that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I think every team name clearly has a bit of historical value. 
or soccer-related stuff, apart from all Carolina FC, because that's just stupid. <laughs> what? Where did the all come from? Like, why do you add that to the name? What sort of benefit does that have? Okay, if you're trying to represent the two Carolinas, no. Just no. <laughs> you're one of the Carolinas. Now you're just limiting the fact that MLS can't expand to one of the Carolinas. <laughs> like, come on. It's, I don't know. Well, it's MLS. It's going to come in as Charlotte FC because it's just, they're always boring with that sort of stuff. And you look at kits and everything and it's going to be Charlotte FC. I'm calling it. I don't think they have enough creativity to do Charlotte Town FC. I'm really only seeing it being Charlotte FC because it's just so boring. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have anything to add to the Charlotte stuff? Because that's something that kind of broke today-ish, yesterday. Um, I don't know if we mentioned last week. They also announced their first player. Charlotte did? I can't. Yes, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, I believe he's been signed from a Liga MX team, if I remember correctly. What's Sergio Ruiz is the name of the player. He's their first ever announced player, so that's pretty exciting. He's from uh, Spanish second division side Racing Santander. That's probably pronounced totally wrong, but they do have their first player. And this We did talk last week about... Austin FC signing their first player, announcing their first player, I should say. So it's hard to forget, I think, that in about, what, eight months, assuming the MLS season starts at its normal time next season, we've got two more teams. And they, despite the pandemic, have had to start announcing their names. Their jerseys will be coming soon, their crests, um, in the case of Charlotte, and now players and coaches as well, which I'm pretty sure I saw Austin FC coach Josh Wolf in the background of one of the games last night, down in the bubble. I think he's there. So I wonder if he's already scouting ahead for the supplemental draft and the expansion draft, which, before we know it, will be here at the rate of this crazy year. So those teams are finally getting going. And go ahead and transition to our next topic. Speaking of new teams, NWSL's newest franchise, which will be in Louisville, they announced their official name and unveiled their new crest and colors which are just beautiful. They'll be known as Racing Louisville, super fitting, considering the uh, Kentucky Derby happens in Louisville or just outside of Louisville, right? A lot of history with with horse racing and whatnot. So a very fitting name. Go check out their new crest. It's, like I said, it's very pretty. It's got a couple shades of purple going on there. So I can't wait to see what kind of awesome kits they're going to have because NWSL gets that right compared to MLS. So I'm sure their kits will be really pretty. And I do want to ask you guys about your thoughts on this, but the NWSL team will be playing in the uh, new league. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, whatever. They just played his first game. Yeah, newly finished, newly unveiled stadium. Uh, the USL team uh, from Louisville, Lou City, they just played their first ever match yesterday. As of we're recording this on a Monday, they played it on Sunday. In front of fans, they allowed fans into the stadiums for USL. Drew, what are your thoughts on the USL going ahead and not only playing in their home markets, but allowing people to be there? Um, I'm not a fan of it. Um, obviously, you, we want fans, but I just don't think we're ready for it yet. I know Mask were 
very much encouraged, but I don't think the state of Kentucky has mandated mask. I'm not sure. Josh is nodding his head no, so I don't think Kentucky or Louisville has mandated mask, um, which personally I think that would be step one as you begin to attempt to have fans in the stands. So I know um, Real Monarchs, I believe, is the RSL affiliate in the USL. They also did the same, and there was a lot of concern because the stadium they're using, they're sharing it with the NWSL. Um, as they're going through their Challenge Cups, there was a lot of uh, debate and a lot of concern and confusion about one league is allowing fans into the same stadium while the NWSL is not allowing fans. So I personally was not a fan of it. Obviously, you want to see fans in the stands, but more importantly, you want to see it in a safe environment, and I don't feel that we're there yet. Um, So it's cool to see the USL back at it, Um, but again, I think they could have done it a little bit better. Uh, The stadium, though, it looked awesome. I got a little bit of the game on, I think it was ESPN2. I mean, the first goal they scored in the stadium was an absolute stunner. Uh, Really encouraged to go see those highlights, but it's Apart from that, I didn't really like fans in the stands. Um, Connor, what did you think about it? I think anybody who's putting fans in the stands at this point, unless your country's completely clean, are incredibly stupid. So I guess you know my thoughts on the USL having fans, as clearly I am not a fan of it, because frankly, that's just a Petri dish to spread the virus. And... Frankly, the U.S. isn't exactly doing a great job at containing things, considering you are, what, at over 3 million cases, and Florida had 15,300 yesterday, uh, so Sunday, as we're recording this. Um, So, yeah, I don't know about that decision. Josh, I'm going to assume you kind of align with us, but I'm sure you have other things that you'd like to add because this is something that you tend to be pretty passionate about. I mean, I'm with you guys. It's dumb. Not a good idea. Like you said, Connor, this, I mean, the United States just does not have this thing under control. It's constantly getting worse in many spots in the country. I think it's irresponsible of the league to allow fans in. And you know what? They are totally following like the correct protocols right like they've got fans spaced out and all that stuff and you know i I can't remember if i even saw any masks on any fans hopefully they're making their fans wear masks in the stadium but even if they are following those things there's no way that people are being responsible enough to uh to um keep that from spreading to keep things from spreading so i don't like it i think it's dumb um and hopefully they are not actively spreading the virus in these home markets and in all these different places across the country. But moving on from the new NWSL team, uh, before we get into the Challenge Cup, a couple of MLS games coming up tonight as we're recording this and in the morning tomorrow when the podcast will be posted. We've got the quote-unquote group of death from some people It's LAFC versus Houston at 8 p.m. And then the Los Angeles Galaxy against the Portland Timbers at 10.30 p.m. Those games, I'm sure, will be great, especially Galaxy and Portland. They're probably a little more evenly matched than LAFC and Houston. And then uh, tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, will be Chicago and Seattle. Chicago will play their first match, Seattle their second match after playing San Jose earlier. And we'll talk a little bit more about that game. That was another big thing I feel like we should mention since we recorded last week. Nashville had to 
withdraw from the tournament, and Chicago, as a result, was moved over into that Western Conference group, which I think we talked about before we actually started recording, and we played. We, we suggested that idea that they go ahead and move Chicago to the West, and it looks like the league was somehow listening to us, took our advice, so that's good to know. But uh, NWSL stuff, Challenge Cup, as we're recording this, a couple hours ago, the OL Reign and Portland Thorns just finished their match. It was a nil-nil draw, and so now the knockout part of the tournament, which starts this Friday, is all but set up. There's just one more game tonight between North Carolina Courage, who have clinched the first spot, and Sky Blue, who may or may not move up or down from, or I guess up from their fourth spot. Drew, I know you've been watching a lot of the tournament. We've now got a much clearer idea of how this knockout portion of the tournament is going to take place. We've got a bracket as of right now, as of the results. What are your initial thoughts from this seeding? Yeah, I think, like Josh mentioned, Rain in Portland, nil no draw in Portland, got that last place seed. So that's the only matchup we are 100% confident in is that the North Carolina Courage will play the Portland Thorns. Um, I'm excited for tonight's game between the Courage and Sky Blue because I'm interested to see what kind of team the Courage send out there because, like we said, they clinched the number one spot. There's really nothing left for them to play for. However, Sky Blue has everything to play for, right? They were lucky enough to avoid that eight seed, so they don't play the Courage in that first game, but now the job becomes avoiding the Courage completely until the final if both teams are to reach that stage. Um, so right now it has them as the three seed, playing the Chicago Red Stars as the six seed, which Sky Blue a thousand percent would like that. That would keep them away from the courage until the final. So right now, I mean, anything can change. Uh, Sky Blue, I think, potentially could beat the courage if the courage do send out a weak team. But a lot of questions about what kind of team the courage are going to send out. And yeah, uh, I think the Houston Dash started off well, got some people's attention, and have begun to. I don't want to say collapse, but return to the state people thought they were in. And I think a lot of people are surprised to see Portland not win a game in the preliminary rounds, the only team to not win. And, yeah, I've encouraged Thorns' first-round matchup would be interesting. Um, I find it hard to believe the Thorns would win that game. But, yeah, uh, no, no draw today definitely was not what Portland wanted. However, it does fit rain very well as they're in that seventh seed, avoiding the courage. So, it's going to be interesting, um, but a lot can change with tonight's game. Can I just say, Josh made a great pick in who he thought are in his team for the NWSL Challenge Cup. Great pick. Yep, regretting that. Portland are <laughs> literally the only team to not win a game. And as a reward, they get to play the best team in the entire league. The, the only team that's won all of their games up until this point. So you're right. I made a fantastic pick. Still the best jerseys in the league, though, in my opinion. Can't disagree with you on that one. Um, why don't we dive I do want to... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I did want to add real quick before we jumped into uh, into the all, all the MLS games and whatnot. Uh, just from looking at that bracket, which was uh, tweeted out in the middle of the Rain-Portland game, and it was if the result holds. I don't know how accurate the bracket is going to end up being pending tonight's results, but... In that first round, I think, to me, the most intriguing matchup is the Sky Blue-Chicago matchup. And obviously, Drew, you're pretty high on Sky Blue and their ability to stay away from North Carolina and hopefully meet in the final. 
I think that Chicago will upset Sky Blue if they meet each other uh, in this first opening knockout round game. I just think that Chicago's got a little bit more of the talent needed to overcome, especially in this... I mean, it's just going to be a really tight affair. It's it's a knockout game. Everything is going to be on the line. So personally, I'm going to give Chicago the edge on that. I think they could they could pull that upset. But we'll find out. We'll have a lot more to talk to you guys about next week because the first two quarterfinal games will have been played by them. So that's pretty exciting. But as Connor was about to say, jumping into MLS is back tournament stuff. Connor, take it away on what's going on with that. All right, I think we should start with the games and then sort of get into our feelings on what we think is up with the tournament because I feel like some of us may have conflicting opinions on where we stand and whether games should resume or not. So let's just go by date. Uh, we'll start with the first match of the tournament. Orlando against Miami. What did you guys think of this tournament? Um, Josh, why don't we start with you? I thought it was a it was a decent game. Definitely thought Miami was the better of the two teams for most of the game. The biggest changing uh, point of the game, the biggest moment of the game, was when Dom Dwyer elbowed I think it's Andres Reyes in the throat, and Reyes had to be stretchered off. Super unfortunate. It's very scary thing to see. He was very distressed, and you could tell he was in a lot of pain. Thankfully, he's okay. He's been checked out, and he's back with the team. Uh, but that being said, you know, you look at a game like this and you can see that as unfortunate as Orlando's tenure in MLS has been, right? No playoff appearances, no trophies. They do have one thing over Miami, and that's Nani. As Nani came through at the end of the game, he was literally the game changer. Chris Miller also made a great impact for Orlando, and that's something that he's used to doing. So, you know, as good as Miami was for most of the game, it all just came down to the star players and the game changers that you have on your squad, and Orlando came through with it. Um, Drew, I know you caught that game. What were your thoughts on that opening game? Yeah, I think I'm kind of the same boat as you. I thought Miami was the better team. I'm thinking about Juan Aguadelo. I think it was the first. It was pretty early in the match. He had a really good chance that he missed, and obviously when you lose by a goal, um, they rude that chance. But he got his goal later, and I thought it was pretty bad defending um, on Miami's part on that last goal. I thought Nani was wide open in the box. So I was disappointed a little bit in Miami. Um, I'm not high on either of, the, either of these two teams. Um, yeah, I was disappointed in Juan Aguadelo's not finishing that first chance, but obviously he got that goal. And yeah, it was pretty bad defending on Miami's part to let Nani that wide open in the box, and it was a pretty easy finish for him. So it was disappointing. I think they had a one-goal lead, and they blew it. Um, so I wasn't very high on Miami going into that game. But when they took a lead, I was pleasantly surprised and maybe thought they would start the tournament with a win. And then from there, I mean, I think Orlando just, towards the end of the match, they took a hold of it and were able to get a win out of it. So very disappointed in Miami's performance. Connor, what did you make of that first game? Uh, I was was conflicted because on one hand, it was two fairly decent, but also fairly average teams. And it was a decent game and ending 2-1 and there was drama late um but overall like I think the Reyes thing kind of killed the mood in a bit uh of a way because it was pretty scary seeing him lying on the ground coughing uh struggling to breathe and the fact that it took the stretcher and ambulance crew like I think 
Taylor Twelman said like four to eight minutes or something along those lines. It took them, I think it was eight minutes to get off the field and four minutes for the ambulance crew to get on the field. And that really needs to be improved. Um, because if this were a situation like, I hate to say it, but Nuri, uh, when he had the cardiac arrest with Ajax, he may be, he could very well be dead by now. And that's worrisome. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on more of the flaws with this tournament later, but I don't know. I thought it was a pretty decent game. I thought both sides played well. I thought Pizarro was okay. He wasn't really like he was a DP. He wasn't anything that special. Uh, he's sort of what you expected him to be. Maybe a little bit less than that. So I don't know. Like I was sort of conflicted on this game. It was a tough one to read, to be honest. Uh, same with the New York City first Philadelphia game what were your guys sort of thoughts on that one sort of as the follow-up the next night yeah I, I totally agree with you Connor it was, it was hard to read the Orlando Miami game and it's honestly it's been kind of tough to read some of these games you can tell that players are not quite at full fitness but with the NYC Philadelphia game first it was the first nine o'clock game of the tournament so I, I personally enjoyed watching it over some breakfast that was Really fun, reminded me of watching World Cup games. But that one had a little more intensity thanks to Philadelphia and the high-pressing system that they use out on the field. Luckily for them, Alejandro Bedoya proved to be the difference maker with his goal. Uh, It was kind of a sketch goalkeeping moment from Sean Johnson, unfortunately. But one thing I do want to point out about that game, specifically about NYCFC, They haven't scored a goal yet in MLS play this season. They haven't scored a goal since their second leg against the... I can't remember who their first opponent was. Maybe San Carlos. uh, One of the Central American teams from CCL. They haven't scored a goal since then. Which is astonishing when you look at the attacking talent that they have. Especially Hebert. And he scored that opening uh, hat trick in CCL. So I, I don't think you start to panic yet if you're an NYCFC fan. That being said, definitely, you know, maybe some alarms starting to go off because obviously you've got to score to win games. And I think this group, getting rid of Nashville and Chicago, it made this group a lot more competitive now that there are only four teams. Um, Drew, what did you make of NYCFC and Philadelphia? Yeah, personally, I thought that was the, I don't want to say the worst game, but that was just the weirdest game to watch, I think. Like the one goal. I think all around that whole play was just confusing to me because, like Josh said, pretty sketchy goalkeeping moment. And also, I don't know if I'm alone on this, but it felt like I don't remember the players' names, but there was a collision right before the shot happened in the box. And when I was watching it live, I immediately assumed foul and that they would get called back, but they let play on, um, which I'm not an MLS referee by any means, and I don't think anyone understands MLS ref logic at this point. But I thought it was a foul. Um, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. Maybe we can talk about it later. But, yeah, that was a weird game to watch. Um, again, like you said, NYCFC, I think we all have high hopes for them, right? Um, number one in the East last year. And with Heber, um, you expect them to score goals. And I think after this break, like Josh said, they didn't score before. We kind of just assumed that they would get a goal in this game. Um but yeah, this is two of the best teams. I think when we went through our predictions and we looked at this group, I think we both had Philly and NYCFC 
going through the knockout round, if I remember right. And to see it play out like that was kind of surprising. Um, maybe that's a product of it being a 9 a.m. game. But I didn't think either team was as good as they will be in this tournament. And lucky for Philadelphia, they got the one lucky break, whether it was by sketchy goal cleaping or borderline foul in the box. But three points is three points. Connor, what did you think about the game? I think Josh had something to say, actually. Oh, gosh. I'm it's looking okay. at my screen, not my phone. <laughs> Uh, to to go back to your um, your mention of the that foul the possible foul in the box you know I do remember that and I think the one of the more interesting things about this tournament so far with the games themselves is it's ta- it took a long time for VAR to finally be used it took six matches it was the seventh match it was last night Sporting Kansas City Minnesota until VAR was finally utilized for a central ref which I'm okay with I think most fans are cool with the least amount of intervention as possible from the video assistant referee. That being said, I was a little surprised that they didn't go to look at that and take a second look and say, you know, there was definitely contact. Maybe we should check that out. I don't think it was enough to warrant them looking at it anyway. So I would go ahead and say that they got that call, right? Uh, But you know, Drew, you're absolutely right. It was, it was definitely a weird game and I don't know if the morning really factored into it. There's so many extenuating uh, factors with every game right now whether it's players mindsets given the pandemic or lack of fitness lack of organization these weird game times that we're experiencing but moving on to the to the next game montreal impact new england revolution new england escaped with a 1-0 win gustavo bow had a wonderful goal off his left foot on the half volley super impressive he just dribbled a defender right about the top of the box and then put that chance away um Connor, what did you make of the Montreal-New England game? Uh, I think what was really notable was, A, the fact that Thierry Henry nailed for the first 8 minutes, 46 seconds of the match, which I thought was a really good show of support uh, from him. And I, this is like a just insane transition away from that because it has absolutely no connection to him at all. But Samuel Piet, I thought, didn't really fit as a right back. Um, Henry tried him there, and it... Didn't really work in the first half, and he sort of moved him back into the midfield for the second half. But I think that really hurt them, and I think they really need to figure out what they want to do in the midfield with sort of that stacked Tider, um, Wanyama, Piet, Bojan, all of, whatever they want to do with that. And then that's sort of what they've got to figure out this knockout stage. I am unsure as to whether or not they'll move on now because I think they do probably need that draw against New England uh, if they wanted to go through. I'd say New England probably has a very good shot of going through now uh, after beating Montreal. But overall, I thought it was a pretty even game. I was pleased, I guess, with Montreal's performance, but it wasn't amazing. It was really like a first game uh, of this tournament, and it's really as much as you can say about a lot of these games Drew, what did you what did you sort of think of this match? Yeah, this might have been one of my favorite matches to watch in the opening little segment of games because I was really impressed by New England. I thought early on when New England got the ball, they were just so fast. Um, immediately, if Montreal turned the ball over, you had the ball going to Gustavo Bo or Carlos Hill, and like obviously that paid off with Bo's pretty awesome stunner. And I was really impressed with New England. I think when we talk later in the episode about what teams impressed me, the Revolution. Um, were, to me, the best team I saw in this opening round. I thought Heel and Bo uh, tore it up. I thought 
um, by, I believe, is that right back and that right side by the Revs. It was absolutely incredible that game. So I thought it was an interesting matchup because going to Josh's tactic preview uh, piece for on the website, you have the in- impact sitting back um, and you have the revolution just flying at you fast pace. And it was really fun to watch. I think my favorite game, and that was obviously a stunning goal. So I was very impressed by the revolution. Um, this is a pretty fun group with the with this team, uh, DC and Toronto, which we'll get in the DC Toronto game here soon. But yeah, I love the game. Uh, I thought the revolution were absolutely incredible. Now to totally take the opposite stance from Drew, this was probably my least favorite game, and the only reason why it was my least favorite game is because. Montreal just time and time again would pass the ball to New England. It was one of the most frustrating things to watch. And yes, all these games have been sloppy. All of them have been disorganized to some extent. But I just remember finding myself super annoyed at watching Montreal just nonchalantly pass the ball to New England. And then they just didn't look upset that they turned over the ball. And so I was... Actually, while I was watching that, I was thinking, man, I can't wait to see what Thierry Henry is going to say in his press game, in his post-game press conference about the effort. And sure enough, he mentioned that New England ultimately got the win because they put forth a little more effort. And I think it was obvious, right? New England, like Drew was saying, they were really fast. They looked like they were getting after it and everything. And one of the, the main difference makers between New England and Montreal is, well, they're difference makers. Gustavo Bo is one of those guys that can change a game, and he did. He got that goal, that needed goal. Buxa, their new DP center forward from Poland, he came close to, to scoring, uh, I think, one or two times. And there's some rust, obviously. It's why he didn't put away his chances, but he's another one of those difference makers. And then Carlos Hill, he was the one with the assist to Gustavo Bo, and he was all over the place all night. So, you could really tell there was a talent disparity between New England and Montreal, but at the same time, to me, it looked like Montreal just wasn't getting after it enough. So I can't imagine how upset Henri was with the perceived lack of effort from his players. So I assume they're going to come out a little more enthused in their next match. Uh, that being said, the next game that took place was Seattle Sounders and San Jose Earthquakes. And despite it being a nil-nil scoreline, I thought it was one of the more fun games to watch because of San Jose's man-marking scheme. Matias Almeida has those guys playing in. It's super frenetic, super chaotic, and it's uh, sort of hard to follow at times, but fun nonetheless. One thing I want to say before I turn it over to you guys is the reason why no one got a point or no one won this game purely because of rust. Seattle Sounders, Raul Ruiz Diaz had a few chances. Kristen Rodon had a chance to score. And if this was a game taking place during a normal season in July, mid-season form, those two guys probably would have put those chances away. But because there's been this long layoff, you can tell they just couldn't get the job done. And so both of these guys came away with the point. Connor, what was your thoughts on this specific game? Uh, I mostly just pitied San Jose players because that high press is exhausting. And doing that in the Orlando heat as the first game back after four months off must have been agony. So mad respect to them. Um, I Look, it's two teams who are quality. You know, San Jose's got some very good players. And Seattle, of course, is potentially one of the best teams MLS has had this decade uh, when you look at their success 
especially since 2016. Um, I think, as you mentioned, it's just them trying to get rid of the rust and trying to get back into form, which will take a little bit of time, but Seattle are going to do well in this tournament, and this was just a warm-up game to me, really. Drew, where did you sort of stand on the Seattle-San Jose game? Yeah, I think we are all in the same agreements that even though I think it was the only nil-nil match we've had up until this point, it was a very entertaining game. It was pretty even, I felt like. I mean, looking at the stats right now, it was pretty even on possession, shots on target. And yeah, I agree with Josh. I think as these teams begin to build up and return to their season form or what they would like to be season form, um, one of those last things that's going to come is the finishing touch. And Seattle had 12 shots, 6 on target. Um, 16 and 8 for San Jose. So it feels like that finishing touch isn't quite there yet, even though um, there wasn't that finishing touch. Super entertaining game. You guys mentioned the press of San Jose, and it's kind of hard to follow and analyze, but I think that's what makes it so fun that it doesn't really look like they know what they're doing, but I trust Almeida. I think he knows what he's doing, and it just makes for really good soccer to watch. So it was one of the more entertaining games, I thought. I think, um, as we did our predictions, I think we all had Seattle going pretty far. And so I think San Jose getting a point out of this match um, is really important for them as they try to get out of this group. Um, Anytime you don't lose to Seattle, I think is a pretty good thing. So I think it was a pretty fun game. Um, Again, the finishing touch wasn't there like maybe we'll see in a couple games or in the knockout rounds. But nonetheless, it was pretty entertaining. Um, I think San Jose was good to get out of there with a point. So I found it fun to watch even though it was nil-nil. Now, speaking of, whoop, go ahead, I was going to say, now that you said you had fun watching that game, how much fun did you have watching the next game? Which I'm sure you both were very frustrated with the outcome. Uh, this is Atlanta versus the New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls won one nothing, and I will just let you two rant for the entire rest of the show. So, one of you take it away. I'm going to keep my end of it short and sweet because I feel like I've talked so much about this in the last few days, but I'm just sick and tired of Atlanta United not or looking like they don't know what to expect when they play Red Bulls. How many times do they have to play Red Bulls to know that they're going to get pressed? How many times do they have to get embarrassed to know that that's the style of play they're going to go up against? They Every single time they take the field against the New York Red Bulls, they don't look like they have a clue as to what's going on. The one time... They looked to have any competence was when Chris Armis rolled out a totally different style and just shot themselves in the foot in the playoffs in that one game. Every single other match that they've played, there has been a high press and it has frustrated and embarrassed Atlanta United. And I, I, I'm just tired of them looking like they're surprised by what's going on in the field. Take it away, Drew. Yeah, um, that was that was going off the Seattle-San Jose game. This was the least favorite game I had to watch because, like, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And the one good thing, I think, because it's the first game coming back, right, there's a lot of how are they going to do in this competition um, without Joseph. And a positive, I think, the only positive I think I can take away is that this looks like vintage Atlanta United versus the Red Bulls. This doesn't look any worse than what we've seen before and obviously that's turned out pretty well so that's I think a good thing that we're used to this this isn't anything abnormal however it was again it was the same old same old and how do you not these players know what they're doing they know this Red Bull press and it just felt like I think we have to give some credit to the Red Bulls I thought they cut off passing lanes really well um 
And then in that first goal, I thought Bello was way too high up, and that just forced a lot of confusion in the back. And to their credit, that was a really good ball played by the Red Bulls. Um, I think the pass was on the money, and he finished it. Um, Guzan, I thought, played really well. I think we're kind of lucky that it only ended one nothing. Um, and then Bello hit the post, so maybe a draw. But, yeah, I mean, like Josh said, it's this Red Bull press. We've seen it time and time again. I'm not sure why there isn't a solution at this point. Um, very frustrating game to watch. You saw a lot of – it didn't seem like Atlanta was urgent. It didn't seem like they were there in the game. It was very much pass the ball, no need to score a goal. We'll take a nil-nil draw, even though they were down one. Um, towards the end of that second half, I thought Adam John coming on, I thought he impressed me a lot um, that last second header um, was just kind of a peak of his performance. I wouldn't mind seeing him start next game um, because you saw a lot of Atlanta playing these long aerial outlet balls trying to get out of this press, and I thought his ability to hold up play, he's a big, strong guy, would make really well to for Atlanta to try and find the back of the net. But, yeah, like Josh said, it was just frustrating. We knew it was going to happen, and it didn't feel like they had any solution to it whatsoever. I'd have to agree. I thought the match should have ended 1-1. Uh, I thought that should have been a draw because I thought Atlanta deserved that point. But ultimately, chips didn't fall in their favor, and they got unlucky. Um, I think that they could still make some serious noise in this tournament. Uh, I had them doing very well in this tournament, and I still think that they will because this game was relatively promising. You know, They were still attacking fairly well, and they didn't even start Barco. So there are a lot of positives to take away from that game. There aren't a lot of positives to take away from the Columbus-Cincinnati game, though, especially if you're Cincinnati. Uh, I don't know if you two actually watched the entire match. Uh, I did, and I guess I'll talk about what the one thing I noticed first before you guys jump into everything. And I said Cincinnati could be a dark horse because I think that their attack is very good. I think they're, they have some quality players in the attacking midfield and at striker. But that back line and the defensive play of Cincinnati is just abysmal. It is just shocking how poor they are on the other when they don't have possession of the ball. It's what I I tweeted this out and I don't know if you guys saw this, but what I think Cincinnati need are is a Michael Bradley-esque player. Someone who can sort of organize the back line and organize the midfield into more of a defensive position and allow for a bit more creative freedom and freedom to roam for the attacking midfielders on Cincinnati. Um, they lack that sort of veteran presence in the backside of the midfield. Like, they obviously have Kendall Waston, and he helps, but ultimately they just didn't have enough organization. And they just got picked apart by Gassi Zardes, who scored twice. Um, they fouled once, which was just terrible by, I'm going to mess this name up, Mudain? Mudain? Uh, I can't say his name. Um, he's attacking midfielder for Cincinnati. I don't know who I'm thinking of. Whatever. Uh, but he gave up that free kick for Zellerain, uh, Zellerayan to score. Uh, Harris Madunian. Madunian, there you go. Uh, I knew I'd mess that up. Yeah, I'm, I need to really listen to names more. Um, Madunian, there we go. Yeah, Madunian. Uh, he was pretty terrible, if we're being honest. Um, 
Giving up that free kick, he just got skinned a couple times as well. It was just really disappointing performance from Cincinnati. How much did you guys manage to sit through that game for? And what did you think of those two teams' performances? So that, that was that's actually the game I've seen the least amount of. Um, I, I got to see like all the highlights and whatnot. And, you know, Connor, you're talking about Michael Bradley and that type of player. And, and I wanted to talk about Harris Mandunian in, as you were saying that, because he plays the exact same spot on the field. If you line them both up in a 4-3-3, like a standard 4-3-3, they're both that holding midfielder in front of the back line. And Mandunian in is a veteran. He's been in this league a long time. He just got there from Philadelphia. That being said, him and Michael Bradley do not share any of the same defensive qualities. Now, Bradley, he's lost a step. He's not the same physical force that he used to be, but he still has the ability to shut down and organize and lead from the back. Madunianin, he's got the same passing abilities as Bradley. They can both hit a good diagonal. Madunianin can find his teammates in good spots, but he cannot shut down any attack. His defense is bad. He's too slow. He's too sluggish, and you're right. That is exactly why the foul happened, because... Uh, I think it was Lucas Elleron who drew the foul. But Zellerion basically just dribbled in a circle around Madunianin. And then once he got past Madunianin, Frankie Meyer from Cincinnati, he had to come in and tactically foul Zellerion. Of course, it led to a beautiful free kick. But that would have never happened if someone other than Madunianin had been following Zellerion and just applying the proper pressure. So you're right. They don't have that presence. And I... I don't know how else you fit Madunian in onto the field, to be honest, because that's his position. That's where he's good at distributing from in that central defensive midfield spot. I guess you can play him as one of the more central mids, one of the more attacking mids, and you can get someone like Alan Cruz or Frankie Amaya, someone who's a little more defensively sound. But even then, I don't think that's enough. And so I think you hit it right on the money, Connor. They need someone back there that can just help stop the bleeding in midfield because they just don't have that. Drew, what were some of your takeaways from that game? Yeah, I think you guys did it really well. Um, Cincinnati doesn't really have any or very low expectations coming into this tournament, but I'm interested about, because I think we were all pretty high, and I think a lot of people are very high on Columbus, so I don't know what to think of it if it's more of Cincinnati's defense just wasn't there like we thought they were going to be, or if it's Columbus Crew's offense just came out and played, and I think to the crew's credit, when you play a team that you're pretty much guaranteed to have three points against, you got to come out and take it. And I thought the crew did that very well. Um, again, that group, I think a lot, a couple of us had them winning the group anyway. So credit to them for taking advantage of playing a bad team. Um, but yeah, you guys nailed it. Um, some of those goals were absolutely just train wrecks and defense. Credit to the free kick. That was probably the best goal of the tournament, in my opinion. But, yeah, I think you guys did it really well. The defense just isn't there. Um, I'm kind of like you, Connor. I'm excited to see what that attack can do. They brought on some new players like Kubo, um, but we didn't really get a chance to see that at all. And, yeah, Cincinnati, they kind of played, I think, like a lot of people expected them to play. Um, And credit to Columbus for taking advantage of that. I think we're all excited to see what this new new look Columbus team can do. And they got off to a right foot against a pretty bad team in Cincinnati. But, nonetheless got a pretty good win i think and drew i think you bring up a really good point about columbus they looked great but how good are they against a team that's more formidable which is why this thursday i think it is when columbus and red bulls play each other is going to be huge it's july 16th 10 30 p.m when they play i think that's going to tell us who's going to end up winning the group um and 
I want to see how Columbus handles Red Bulls press and an actual defense, right? Compared to Cincinnati. No offense to Cincinnati, although you guys probably feel the same way, but that's going to be a good game because we're going to finally see what both of those teams can do against probably sort of even opposition. But moving on from that, and what I think was probably the most exciting game outside of maybe this morning's game for different reasons, but uh, last night's game, Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota United. Uh, that game was wild. Uh, Connor, did you, I think, can't remember, did you catch any of that game? I did not. That's like that and the NYCFC game are the only two games I think I've missed. Cool. So I'll say a little quick something about it, and then Drew, I know you watched it, so I want to see what you have to say. But Sporting Kansas City were in charge of that game, almost all of it. A couple subs were made from both coaches that really shifted the momentum, and that just goes to show that in a tournament setting like this, subs are super important because at the end of the day, coaches don't have a ton of influence over what's happening on the field. It's just how soccer is. The players are the ones really running things in the middle of a game. Granted, coaches, they do everything during the week, right? They coach up their players. They teach them the tactics that they want them to do. But at the end of the day, they're not on the field doing anything. That being said, coaches can really, really influence the game with the subs and the type of players they bring on, the formational switches that they do. And you saw a really good example of that between Heath bringing on Aaron Schoenfield and Peter Vermees and his sub selections. Drew, what were your thoughts on that game, which ended up being a 2-1 to Minnesota win? Yeah, I think, Josh, I think he even tweeted something out. It felt like up until Schoenfield, I think, got onto the field, it felt like it was Sporting Kansas City's game. Um, they had both their goals came in extra time, but I thought Schoenfield's substitution was huge. I mean, he came on like the 60th minute, I want to say, and then 15 minutes later um, he had that really good touch and then got Tim Melia to get a red card just outside the box. And obviously you're paying, playing down a man. That's going to help you. Um, so yeah, you make a good point with the substitutions. I thought his substitution coming in the game was a stroke of genius. He came in and immediately impacted the game, getting Amelia a red card. Um, and credit for Minnesota United, um, taking advantage of that, scoring late, um, getting an own goal. I think it was the same guy that scored for Sporting Kansas City, got a goal and an own goal, which I don't know when the last time that happened was, but that was pretty funny. But yeah, I was excited. I'm not high on Minnesota United, but this was a matchup I think I had circled in this first little group of games because both these teams I think we picked to get out of the group. And to see Minnesota win like that with a player like Schoenfield coming off the bench making that big of a difference was surprising. Um, yeah, Minnesota, credit to him. I think Alain Pulido, I think he was the one who had this really cool turn for Sporting Kansas City. Um, so obviously big money signing like him, I thought he did pretty well. But Minnesota United came back, um, Schoenfield substitution, that was the game changer for me. And I don't know if you saw the highlights, but, like, that first touch he had to set him up against Timelia was one of my highlights of the entire first group of games. So he impressed me a lot. Um, I think he came, he played in Columbus for a little bit, came back from Israel, I think, is what the broadcast said. So no way I was expecting this guy to get into the game, but he got into the game, made his presence felt, got a red card really early on. So I was impressed by Minnesota United, but specifically impressed by Schoenfield's performance for sure. And I think it's easy to look at just the box score stats and say, oh, of course Minnesota won. They got that red card. Or uh, Sporting Kansas City got that red card, and Minnesota played up a man. But, Drew, you're absolutely right. It was because of Schoenfield's first touch on that ball, forced Melia in a tough spot, and Melia had to take him out. And that's what led to the red. And obviously Minnesota capitalized uh, with those final goals. And 
you were right. Gerso scored for Sporting Kansas City and for Minnesota. He got that own goal. Unfortunately, just you can just see he like had no idea the ball was coming to him, and it just like bounced off his chest into the goal. Very terrible feeling, I'm sure. And I think that's the first time that's happened in MLS since 2012. I want to say maybe 2013. Kai Kamara was the last person to do that. By the way, a little fun fact for you guys out there. So. I'm, I'm with you, Drew. Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota, I, I have both of them going through in their group. So it was really interesting to see them fight it out against each other. And super huge for Minnesota to get a win without not only Icopara, but Ozzy Alonso. Alonso did not play at all in the game, even though he was available for selection. So for Minnesota to come away with three points, missing arguably their two most important players of their spine, really huge for them. I can imagine that they'll get a lot of momentum heading into their next match. But moving on to the late-night game last night, it was Real Salt Lake versus Colorado Rapids. RSL came away 2 nothing winners. Connor, what were your thoughts on that game last night? Uh, one name, Nicholas Benese. I thought he was incredibly impressive for Colorado. Uh, he was constantly getting fouled, drawing players in, creating a lot of space for other uh, av- avalanche. Wrong Colorado team, Rapids, uh, constantly creating space for Rapids players, and I was just very impressed with him. You know, he had a good game. Uh, he did get subbed off, which I found a little confusing because he had been playing so well. But overall, like I thought, Colorado looked decent. RSL are obviously a good team. Um, Clint Irwin got unlucky on the penalty. Uh, that was very poor play by the back line in Colorado and putting him into that position, but he made a great save on the penalty and even better save on the rebound. So there's not really much to say. I think it's a big learning experience for Colorado. Um, what did you guys sort of think of that game? Where do you sort of stand on how Colorado and RSL did? Yeah. Um, kind of going back to how I said, I was very impressed with new England. I think I was most disappointed in the Rapids because how well they ended 2019. I mean, I think Jonathan Lewis, a winger for Colorado, uh, said in like a post-game presser that he thought that was the worst they have played since uh, their new manager, Robin Frazier, came in. And Robin Frazier's arrival was kind of like this wave of Colorado turning around 2019 and playing really good to end the season. So there was a lot of expectations for them kind of taking that into the start of this tournament. Um, and no shots on target. They had three shots in total um, out-possessed by RSL. So I was very unimpressed by the Rapids' performance. Um, Cred RSL, I didn't, not very high on them, but yeah, I think the Rapids were my most, the team I was most disappointed in just because of how well they ended last year and to see them play like the way they did, getting out possessed and just, I thought it was RSL's game, uh, was pretty disappointing for me from the Rapids' point. I got to agree with you, Drew. I was expecting more out of Colorado, honestly. And like you said, they ended last season well, but they also started 2020 on a, on a good note. They were one of four teams to win both of their first games, along with Minnesota, Sporting Kansas City, and Atlanta United. So now, you, first of all, we realize Minnesota is the only team to win all three of their first games, which who would have guessed that that would have been the case, right? But they, they're the ones. But Colorado was disappointing last night, and I think it was obvious that it wasn't one of their best games, and it's been one of their worst games in a while. That being said, I think we're sleeping on RSL a little bit. They looked really good last night, and we'll, we'll probably talk about it at the end. We've got a little bit of a little recap questions that we'll go through. 
Um, just a reminder, none of the three of us had RSL getting out at the group stage. As of one game, we probably look like idiots on that. But moving on to the game this morning, <sighs> Toronto versus DC United. Without getting into too many details, I'll go ahead and say that it finished in a 2-2 draw. Connor, I imagine you have some thoughts on the game. Uh, just so everybody knows, Toronto raced out to a 2-0 lead in the first half. Ayo looked great starting in place of Josie Altidore as the striker who didn't play because it's hot or something like that. He's, I don't know. Kind of fuzzy. Uh, he's not up to match fitness yet because he had to quarantine in Canada for 14 days. So he wasn't able to train with Toronto uh, for a while. So they're still giving him a couple days to sort of get back into fitness before they play him again. That and the fact that he's always broken. So they're probably trying to hide an injury. (laughs) That makes a lot more sense now. But Akinola played great in his place anyway. Uh, Got those two goals. And then, just to top it all off, Junior Moreno for DC was really stupid and kept going into these awful challenges on a yellow. Got a deserved second yellow. Sat out the entire second half. Toronto still managed to blow that two-goal lead, and it ended up being 2-2. DC came back with a wonderful Pipe Higuain chip. It was so gorgeous. And then thanks to some horrible set-piece defending on Toronto's part, Frederick Viant also got their equalizing goal. Connor, what are your 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 main thoughts, your main takeaways from a game like this? Eric Zavaleta and Laura Simon should never play together ever in a match. I don't care if you're playing a bunch of eight-year-olds. He shouldn't. They should not be together because they just get dismantled. It's not even funny. Like it's embarrassing at this point. We knew it was a problem, and then Vanny just did it anyway. Like it. Uh, it is just so frustrating to see that Vanny's game management. I've always had an issue with. I think his subs are questionable at best most of the time. It's it's something where... This was a game where I think Toronto could learn a lot. You were going into this game preparing to play it on Friday. That then got postponed to Sunday because Toronto didn't show up on time. Then there were a positive case and an inconclusive case, so the game caught postponed again and obviously you saw at the end of the match there was clearly a disagreement between dc players and toronto players i believe it was around dc feeling that toronto didn't respect them because they didn't show up to play a game after one of the dc players tested positive which that's a new one uh dc i'd take a look in the mirror for a second and understand that you're in the middle of an effing pandemic so maybe wake up a little bit. Um, but not to be too harsh and too depressing, uh, I thought Toronto looked really, really good. They were a solid team until Gonzalez and Mavinga got subbed off. Like, there were some serious quality there. Um, Io, as you mentioned, that first strike was amazing. Uh, just perfectly placed, beating Hamid. I thought Piatti was a little invisible at times, uh, but again, this is the first game he's played uh, this season for Toronto, and he has not played very much soccer in the last couple years. So I'll give him that break. Um, 
If he makes it out of this tournament, I'll be over the moon, but I highly doubt that's going to happen at this point. Uh, the one player who really stood out to me, though, who I thought was Toronto, Toronto's man of the match, was someone who, you been, who mentioned earlier in Michael Bradley. Bradley was just phenomenal. That's the best I've seen him play, potentially since the season opener last year where he scored twice. I believe it was against DC as well. Uh, it might have been Philadelphia. But I was very impressed with Bradley. I was impressed with Westbrook. I thought he played well. Um, Pazuelo, of course, always plays well. Got two of the assists on the Akinola goal. It was just the game management from Vanny. Vanny threw that game away. And I understand that the two center backs in Mavinga and Gonzalez were starting to cramp and apparently couldn't continue, according to him. But you know that that doesn't work. And you have other options on the bench. Like, Bradley knows how to play center back. You could have brought in Liam Fraser on as another defensive midfielder, as opposed to bringing out one of those center backs who are just terrible. And frankly, I don't think Eric Zavaleta should step foot on an MLS pitch for Toronto FC anymore. He has been that bad for so long. I would even say Lawrence Simon shouldn't play either. He has looked bad most of the time. I know he's had some good moments with Toronto, but my initial reactions to him with the Reds is his horrible debut in CCL last year. Today, he was the main culprit on that Higuain goal. That was a very bad defensive lapse on his part that really heavily contributed to that. Drew, did you have any thoughts about this morning's four-goal thriller? Um, This was actually the one game I did not catch, so not as passionate of takes as Connor, obviously. But I will say to see, because I think this is a really good group, right, and to have a 2-0 lead and to take it from three points to one point I think is going to hurt Toronto a lot. I still think they're getting out of the group, but might be a little tighter than it would have been if they were to see that lead out. So I don't have any takes on the game. Uh, I did see Higuain's chip, and that was one of the best goals of the tournament, I thought. But I think Toronto blowing that lead without Josie out the door in a really hard group is not going to help them out later as they try to get out of this. Yeah, I think Toronto's still well-positioned. You know, they got that 4-0-1 derby on Thursday night, which is going to be a crazy night for soccer. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that, if I can watch it. Um, but, yeah, I think you mentioned that Seema, you don't know if he should set up foot on the field. I think the issue with Seema is he's constantly paired with Eric Zavaleta. And Zavaleta can't play with the ball at his feet, just period. So he's sort of responsible for doing a lot of that. He played a little bit in the playoffs last year in place of, I can't remember if it was Gonzalez or Mavinga, and he was spectacular. So I wouldn't write him off so quickly. I just think he needs the right defensive pairing instead of Eric Zavaleta um, is what it ultimately comes down to, but... It's history at this point. Toronto blew another lead, uh, gave up a goal in the 90th minute, as they always have done and as they always will. Let's dive into quickly with our post-recap questions, um, which I believe Josh is the one who threw them in this doc, and I think they're very interesting because you have one team in one of the questions that I very disagree with. But let's start, actually, let's start with the negative and we'll finish with positive, some happy news in today's Depressing society. Um, who do you think has been the most disappointing team so far for you in MLS's back? Uh, Drew, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Josh. 
Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier, but the most disappointing team to me was the Colorado Rapids. Um, again, I pretty much talked about it earlier. I had a really good start to end 2019, and that kind of carried over to a good start of 2020. And to see them get beat the way they did by Rail Salt Lake was pretty disappointing. Um, I had high hopes for them uh, with their with the new manager and just seeing how he's going to continue. So for me, the Rapids were the most disappointing team for me. I am tempted to also go with the Rapids. I think, though, after giving a little more thought, I'm going to go Montreal. I was impressed with how they played in CCL and the first couple of MLS games. So you kind of expect a little more out of them, especially with the way they approached the CCL games, compact defensively, took their chances on the counter. So for them to look so bad against New England, I mean, I already said it earlier, but they just looked... Like, they had no effort. They were giving the ball away really easy. And I'm saying that in comparison to overall so far how sloppy things have been. It just looked especially bad for them. So I would say I'm disappointed. One thing I feel like I got to throw in, though, uh, one of the benefits of this tournament has been the broadcast. Been really cool to get some extra extra mics on the field, some good audio and all that. But by far the funniest slash most terrible part of the tournament was last night when ESPN was doing their sideline interview with Robin Frazier and his team got scored on as he was doing the interview. That was peak MLS right there for you. That is as good as Major League Soccer is ever going to get, let alone the fact that it was a central midfielder scoring that goal, Demir Krylock. He seems to always come through for RSL. But for, for, for Robin Frazier's team to get scored on in the middle of an interview was just... That's just gold right there. Such a terrible moment for him. I would hate to be him in that position. But I'm going to go with Montreal for most disappointing team. Connor, who is most disappointing for you so far? This is going to be a controversial one because they were sort of disappointing to come in with and nobody really had high hopes. But I had high hopes for them. And I'm going to say Cincinnati. I thought they were going to be a lot better than they were. And they frankly fell on their face. Um... They were just really disappointing to me. Another really disappointing thing for me was the camera angle they're using because you can't see below it. And the poor camera operator basically has to hang over the edge in order to get the close sideline. So that was a little disappointing for me, but I think they're making it work. I've been a fan of the broadcast so far. Uh, I'm not sure what Fox or T, I think it was Fox, did with the piping in crowd noise because that was not very well done, but... Whatever, that's beside the point. Let's go to the positives, and I'll start us off. Um, which team impressed you the most? This is going to be a, from a very bi- biased biased perspective, but I'm going to go Toronto FC for the first 80 minutes of the match. Up until Seymour and Zavaleta came on, I thought they were incredible. Uh, it looked like mid-season Toronto FC. I was very impressed with where they were, so I'm going to go with them. If I'm not allowed to pick Toronto for the first 80 minutes, I will go with probably Columbus because they just picked apart Cincinnati and it was embarrassing. Josh, who was your most impressive impressive team for you? And then, Drew, you can end everything off. I'm going to go RSL as most impressive team. Again, all three of us, I mean, we pretty much wrote them off by not choosing them to advance through the round of 16, but they looked good against the Rapids last night. And yeah, 
it's easy to say, ah, oh, but it's the Colorado Rapids. But they've they've been playing well this season. They're super improved. They've gotten better in depth. Even their younger players have developed nicely over about the last year, maybe 10 months. But RSL looked really good. Their, their ball movement was fantastic. It could have been worse if not for Clint Irwin's fantastic double save on the penalty and rebound shot. I was just super impressed. Their organization on the ball, off the ball was solid. And if players like Albert Rusnak and Demir Krylock, who scored both of their goals, if those guys continue to come through in the big moments, that's really all you need to get through a tournament like this. Solid defensive structure and game changers is how it's going to be. And it's only going to get worse once you get into these true knockout games in the next round. So to me, RSL is the most impressive. I'm super interested to see how they do against Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota. That is looking like a very wide open group right now after last night's um, action. So RSL for me is the team that has impressed me the most. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I think the team that's impressed me the most has been uh, the New England Revolution because, like Josh mentioned, in Montreal, it was kind of frustrating. They would just play these really bad passes. But to New England's credit, I thought when they got the ball, they were very fast to take it from their own end to Montreal's end. I thought Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo uh, were as advertised in that first game. I think Carlos Hill created, like, 12 chances during that game. I saw a tweet by OptiJack, which was, like, the most the Revolution have had since 2010. So they started tracking those things. So I was very impressed by the Revolution's speed, how fast they were. Um, if Gustavo Bo, he had a lot more chances than that one rocket he scored. And if that finishing touch comes to Bo in these next couple games, I think that game would have been a lot worse than one nothing. So I thought the Revolution, their speed, how fast they were, how they moved the ball, how they got in really good positions was very impressive for me. Um, and they took advantage of Montreal's sloppy play. I think Montreal, like we talked about, is not satisfied at all by the way they played. And I thought New England, when they got the ball, when they won those turnovers, they were very fast to take it from their own end and get it into good uh, chances for themselves. So I was very impressed by the Revolution. All right. And I guess that's all we really have time for because we'll be going for an hour 10. Uh, So, Drew, you want to take us out? Yeah, yeah. So thanks again, guys, for listening. Um, First podcast, we've got to talk about actual MLS. So Thank you guys for sticking around through the end of this episode. But yeah, um, again, as always, check out the website, MLSMultiplex.com, as soccer's coming back. Our writers are working very hard to crank out stories from MLS, NWSL, and just stuff in general. So be sure to check out the website for really awesome stuff. Um, Be sure to check us out on social media, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, uh, Josh at Josh underscore Bolin, and Connor at CWG Somerville. Um, Take our infuriated tweets through the games and our takes through twitter we'd really appreciate that um but yeah thank you guys so much for listening um and we will see you guys next week with more mls is back action thank you for listening to the mls multiplex podcast check out all of the contributors written work at mlsmultiplex.com 